Why is purpose the glue that holds organizations together? You're very welcome to IMI's Talking Leadership podcast, where this week we turn our focus to purpose-driven leadership and why it is especially important in times of uncertainty. I'm joined by Kerry Fleming, Managing Partner of Elios and Associate Dean at Ashridge Executive Education and an IMI Associate Faculty Member. She's worked with Fortune 500 companies, international governments, indigenous and international organizations. Kerry was welcomed recently by the IMI community for a mini masterclass session where she spoke about empowering people through purpose-driven leadership. So Kerry, you're very welcome to the podcast today. How are things? Very good, David. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to our discussion. So am I. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be great. So I suppose just to kick off, um, following up on, on your session at the IMI just a couple of weeks ago, I'm interested in digging into the idea of purpose within organizations a little bit more deeply. And that's something that's really come to the fore throughout the pandemic, of course, with you know decentralized workforces, employee engagement, and taking on a different form entirely, really. So um, where do you believe purpose lies in terms of importance within businesses? And I suppose a follow-up question, is there a sort of a disconnect at the moment between the perception of that and the reality on the ground? Thanks, Dave. That's a really good question. Uh, purpose has always mattered for business. Uh, I think most people go into business with a specific purpose whether it's to produce or provide a product or service which people need or don't know they yet need, uh, which is what happened, of course, with Apple. Um, at the beginning of a product and company life cycle, the company ethos or purpose is a badge of honor, which is worn and spoken about. Uh, it, what it does then is it generates the culture of the, of the company and then the values and behaviors that they live by. So there's, it's always quite ambitious at the beginning of a business. A business without purpose is just another business and it has no real unique selling point. Um, and the pr- pursuit of profit is a very imitable endeavor. You know, anyone can, can come, jump into the market if, if, you're, mm-hmm. if you don't have a particular differentiator. As businesses begin to grow and their structure becomes more complex, they often begin to lose focus on purpose as they meet a sudden market impact such as COVID or a competitor taking space in their market. So their heads can get turned away from why they started in the first place. And that's when things can start to uh, go a little bit wrong. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose I, I like the idea of this, this badge of honor, using purpose as a badge of honor in your business. I think that's a really good sort of uh, visualization of things. Um, so I suppose it's a very simple question, Kerry, but why is purpose important? Why, especially now, why is it important? It's very important now because it is what differentiates you from your competition, ultimately. And uh, it's the secret sauce, which is is why your company is unique and why people buy from you. It's often very noble and it can be kind of a meaningful vision, but it also can be profitable in its achievement. Um, The manner in which that is achieved must be in a way which has integrity and offers the best possible outcome for all stakeholders. Um, one, I, I was reading there, uh, the director of REA Group, Greg Ellis, a former CEO, he talked about it, their company was in, in real estate and he said that the company's purpose was to make the property process simple, efficient and stress free for people buying and selling a property. Mm-hmm. So if you think about that, you know, he's really looking, they were at the time, They were taking an outward focus and not just on the importance of serving customers, 
or understanding their needs, but also putting their managers and employees in the customer's shoes. And he talks about just a final point, which I thought was really, really nice in terms of what he says. This is what we're doing for someone else. It's motivational because it connects with the heart and the head. And he referred to it as the company's philosophical heartbeat. So that's a lovely example of what why is why is purpose important? It ultimately drives your business and it's what brings people to the door. Exactly. Gets the spokes of the wheel moving and you know keeps keeps things moving along in the direction of clarity. Um, so Kerry, in the past you've spoken before about this leadership polarity that exists between what you call eco and ego in an excellent TED talk, which if anyone hasn't listened to, uh, definitely check it out. Um, so which type of leadership at the moment of those two is currently thriving? And is it important to be able to, I suppose, um, swing between the two, for lack of a better term? Yeah, sure. Um, so it might be useful, firstly, just to explain what I meant by eco and ego. So a couple of years ago, some colleagues and I in the UK uh, undertook a study on the work of a guy called Simon Western, who suggested that there were two fundamental orientations towards complexity thinking, which is ego system or ecosystem awareness. Um, so ego systems is a concern for oneself as it kind of, you know, it's, it's quite self-explanatory. Seeing yourself as an individual in the world and holding a belief that you can change and shape the world according to your own ideas and desires. So it's very much I, me. It's, it's you know, it's all about what it is that you think that you can do as one individual. The ecosystem piece, um, of course, eco comes from the Greek word meaning whole. And this really is more about the bigger um, ecosystem. So it's, they talk about it as being the fourth and most current in leadership discourses. Um, and really it's, it's about, as opposed to a closed system, which the ego system can be, viewing the organization as a web of connections and networks that operate like ecosystem. And it's an interdependent whole rather than one machine. So, Within ecosystems, organizations cannot be led top down because an ecosystem requires nurturing and not controlling. So that's a kind of a, a very quick uh, explanation of what, what we were looking at within those two elements. Um, I think the question is a very com complex one that you ask as, as opposed to, you know, what, which one is currently thriving? There has been quite a pervasive nature of more patriarchal organizations over the last 30, 40, 50 years, um, which are usually comprised of mostly male board members, often white male CEO at the top of a very pyramid-shaped organization. And of course, companies thrive under this model where employees work often very demurely <laughs> under more ego-led bosses. So the nature of the kind of patriarchal would be that singular uh, self-identity that this is, you know, this is my vision and you will do what I say. Um, what I would say that the, this, this type of thinking, you could probably trace directly back to the recession, the giant recession we had in 2008, in particular in the Irish context. Um, the ego style is still pervasive. I mean, here in Ireland, we've witnessed an almost collapse of another financial institution recently, who I would say followed this path of ego uh, system thinking perfectly. 
Uh, what starts to happen is hubris, which is another name for arrogance or excessive pride, sets in and the whole thing derails. Um, because it is all about that kind of individual pursuit of what it is that you need as opposed to what the bigger system is all about. What is going to start to change, David, is that the employee profile of more learned workers will not stay silent within this. Um, and you can see that that financial institution um, that I'm referring to and many others uh, was because somebody actually leaked uh, as, as to what was happening. So I think that the hyper transparent nature of how business is done can no longer be hidden away from curious eyes of both the employees and or social media. So I would say that the ecosystem piece will inevitably find its way. But as I say in the TED talk, and you, know, you can see it as well, just from in terms of who's in power uh, in, you know, nationally, um, you can see a very big swing now from ego uh, type uh, leadership in the US to a more ecosystem type leadership. Um, but there is a very, it's like in economics, there's a very natural swing in roundabout society. We'll look for something else. They get tired of eco, they want more ego. So you need a little bit of both actually to go back to, is it important to be able to swing between the two? Absolutely. Because I've seen organizations which are overly ecosystem thinking and nobody makes a decision. Um, and that's not good either. Um, and I've seen the opposite, which are the ego-led organizations where you just got one person in charge and everyone else is just, you know, completely bored by all this decision making, which is quite exclusionary. So you definitely need a bit of both, but it's good to understand what they are so that you can then kind of decide which one you have more of and less of. Yeah, it's a fascinating dynamic and one that's very much, I suppose, um, you know, kind of a best of both worlds sort of situation. Like there are things to borrow from each and indeed... I suppose how society and businesses are shaped in that moment could uh, call upon a different a different type of leadership. So, um, yeah, it's a fascinating mm -hmm. one. Yeah, so, it's really interesting. Do you think that? Um, I suppose let's let's turn the focus a bit more to um, the people side of things. So, do you think businesses at the moment, um, with maybe more focus on people, um, are instituting more bottom up initiatives to define purpose, or do you think things have remained top down? You mentioned the the kind of the pyramid uh, approach there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the natural order of established companies and indeed capitalism is to have one or two or three people in charge. Um, there is merit to that in a way, because as human beings, we do like often we do like others to take responsibility. Like not everyone wants to walk into their organization in the morning and be in charge. Mm. You know, that's not what they signed up for. So there is a natural kind of human desire to be led um at times so it's not about kind of taking that away um there is a big ambition at the moment to have a more bottom-up focus and of course i always say the key to understanding any organization is their performance management system so if a performance management system is heavily um loaded on individual performance then you get a very transactional culture mm. so people know what they need to do in order to keep their job um, so what I would say to you is it's popular at the moment to have more bottom up initiatives, but sometimes it's a bit of lip service. Um, I get very irritated when I see you know, companies who work people to the bone and then 
are looking for mindfulness and yoga lunchtime training and it's it's kind of like let's you know let's make everyone feel good for half an hour but then you go back to your 60 hour week and hope you can recover enough to to do the job that's impossible so there is a bit of window dressing um where people are overworked for profit uh, or the other thing as well which i would have come across very much so is a lack of review of organizational design. So looking at or how organize it, your organization is structured and whether it's still relevant, because if there's a very intensive amount of labor required, there is a scope for reconfiguring this by usually the workers who are in it and who know the system for optimality, for, for more optimization. So it's a bit depressing, but I would say things have definitely remained top down. Um, but, you know, it's it's it remains to be seen. I mean, it can be um, more to do with, I suppose, the power that's given to the people on the ground um, and whether they have a voice and a say, because for the most part, they are the most experienced and the most um, credible in terms of knowing what the best way to do the job is. But often they're just not asked. Exactly. Yeah, it's that engagement piece. Um, you mentioned uh, something interesting there that actually dovetails very nicely into the next question, which is uh, surrounding sustainability. So you mentioned the idea of sort of window dressing and, um, mm-hmm. you know, this idea of kind of putting up a facade that things are changing when in fact they're not. So obviously a big topic in businesses right now is sustainability and how you bring that in. Um, but there's also been a really a great deal of focus on this idea of greenwashing. And it's something you spoke about in your session at the IMI. So what has been your experience actually when speaking to business leaders? Um, is there, do you believe a genuine desire to change or is this really more a matter of kind of, uh, kind of raw pragmatism, I suppose? Mm. Yeah, a great question. I think there are different types of, of organizations, so business leaders. So there, there are those who sit and really think about the world and how their company sits in it, how it sits in local society, what it's going to do, how its people are. Then you have people who have kind of half an eye or ear hearing, oh, we really need to focus on sustainability. Let's get in a sustainability manager. Um, and still they kind of don't really know what to do with this, but they know that they should be doing it. And then there are others who are still utterly avoiding it, sort of saying, oh, you know, forget that. So there is this kind of pressure to do something. Um, what will start to happen, David, and I heard a really good interview this morning um, on Irish radio uh, with um, Mark Carney, who was the former uh, governor of the Bank of England. And he has written a great book on values, uh, value and values. And he talks about, you know, putting a value on everything can just serve to commoditize things. And you, we commoditize things and we lose the set of values that we have and we show up with. So I think it has to come from a place of bigger agenda than just slotting it into um a balance sheet or how are we you know we just we'll 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 devote x amount of budget to this and we'll just see where it goes it has to be part of the bigger ethos it has to be part of what is the purpose what is our purpose so it's it's kind of has to be much bigger the greenwashing business will happen but what will reduce that is the more um transparent amount of governance which will be required 
So it's no different for governments. You know, they've signed up. They have to reduce their carbon footprint by X uh, over the next couple of years. It will be very similar for businesses. So greenwashing in itself will probably disappear because people will have to offer kind of hard nosed facts as to what they're going to do year on year and what their ten, five, 10 year projections are for increasing their sustainability. So um, I think greenwashing will happen, but I think it will also be chased out because people will have to just step up and do, do the right thing. Yeah, definitely. And, and do you think there's a general lack of understanding in businesses overall as to the impact of you know, a more sustainable approach? Do you think that there's kind of a, a knowledge gap there? Big time. Yeah, big time. I think um, people don't realize one of the things I was talking about uh, at the mini masterclass as part of the IMI membership series recently was the whole idea of ESG funds uh, growing hugely, you know, people demanding um, funds in these key areas and they don't necessarily want to invent, invest pension pots and um, their funds in uh entities which are destroying the planet or you know investing in oil or vulture funds kicking people out of their homes people are a little bit more focused um in terms of what it is they want so there's there you know you could say there's huge money to be made i think there's there's definitely um very viable business models to be created on the back of sustainability because ultimately whether you like this or not, sustainability requires investment. So it, it is going to need trillions of pounds and, and euros to make it uh, a success, whether it's repairing all of the things we need, to, you know, we've, we've just discarded. So there is something about um, the economy finding its way back. Um, there's, there was a really good interview on recently, I think it was on called EcoEye, a program called EcoEye, and they were talking about the circular economy and where we stop this um, uh, notion of everything is disposable. We go back to kind of generational thing about where shoes were repaired, fridges were repaired, all these mm -hmm. things were repaired. Um, and there was a chap on, I think he works in UCC, and he was talking about um, this whole, there's a whole thriving economy to be made on things having a longer life. Um, and a whole ecosystem that develops within that. So it, it will take minds to be opened, definitely, but there, it, it's definitely something which will be very worthwhile for businesses if they embrace it in the right way. Definitely, yeah. Um, moving on to a different topic, actually, now is as one of your the publications that I read of yours had a title um, that re I really enjoyed and really stood out to me. Um, and it said basically that leaders had gone from hollow heroes to expert empathizers. I thought that was a really nice way of putting it. So <laughs> given the demands that have been placed on leaders over the past year, especially, has this notion of a hollow hero disappeared completely? Or is that a bit wishful thinking on our part? Yeah, I, I would say that the hollow hero is in an echo chamber on their own when you just have a virtual audience. You know, if you've got people who are a leader of a, a, an organization, male or female, who's used to telling people what to do and in charge, having town halls or regular meetings, um, things are very different now. I would have noticed from working with clients over the last year, especially online, that people are themselves almost hollowed out from overworking and this kind of emerge state of emergency that was was called in the first month, six weeks where people had to, you know, gather themselves, work from home. And um, 
what started to happen was that state of emergency was never called off for some and I was still meeting them six seven months into the crisis and the COVID pandemic and they were absolutely burnt out they were doing more work than they'd ever done in the office so one of the things that has become very essential is that there's space given to people to understand that it's not you can't you're not a robot I mean that's we talk about purpose that's why I got into this, this whole area of organizational behavior um, is to you know allow people to be human at work and so having kids at home having a small child come in while you're in the middle of work you know for that to be understood and for some flexibility so empathizers are you know going to be the type of person you'll continue to work for um, I know people who've left their jobs uh, during this time or who plan to leave once once this is over because they got a real insight as to actually how heartless their companies are. Um, and that's a pity because it's a pity for the person. It's a pity for the company because it's, there's a huge cost to recruiting people. Um, and there's a huge amount of tacit knowledge that just walks out the door when you don't necessarily look after people in an emotionally intelligent way. Um, so that's, you know, it remains to be seen, but maybe we are wishful thinkers, but empathy, em- empathy is, is the way forward, I would say. Yeah, and actually, that, I suppose that leads on nicely to the next question. Um, what should the priorities be for leaders emerging from this crisis, you know, in broad terms? Um, I think the piece you just mentioned there in terms of retention is such a big, it's such a big mm-hmm. thing to consider and kind of looking at, I suppose, the whole picture of the organization, you know, people on the ground, communication, everything like that. So I suppose it's a big question, but um, what do you think the priority should be? I think the priority should be for businesses and their leaders to sit down and figure out why they're in business and go back to the start. Like, why are we in business? What is our purpose? What are we doing? And be willing and able to turn the whole thing on its head and say, this is what we started doing. What, what is out there now? It's, it's like almost emerging from sort of, some sort of kind of nuclear holocaust where you come out of this cave blinking, wondering what the landscape is going to be like, wondering um, how consumers are going to behave. What are they looking for? What's happening? So you have to be willing to go out there with curiosity and figure out whether your business structure or model is still relevant, in fact, or whether you can adjust. I mean, I, I saw really interestingly a local, um, uh, we'll say, uh, pub in uh, in a city not too far from me, um, which was decimated by by COVID. And this person has set up a kind of a food truck outside in the car park. And I passed it the other day, and it was mobbed. You know, there were there were loads and loads and loads of customers and I, I I thought this person this individual has kind of stepped out of the pub that they were running and and has really looked at what does the market need now you know we can't go in so let's go outside let's meet the customer so there's something about really adjusting your business model to meet what the demands are because consumer demands will change people will realize that they don't need as much as maybe they did before there's a lot of money sloshing around. People have a lot of savings. There's, you know, things in being invested in which were never invested in before. So as opposed to kind of hanging on tight and saying, well, this is what we do and they will be back. You really need to kind of say to yourself and, and ask, go out there, ask your customers, find out what your employees think, be curious and 
it's change is hard. And if you've built up a business for the last 20, 30 years, and here I am telling you that you need to, to change the, the landscape or change the, change the model, you might feel very annoyed about that. But that's the nature of business. That's the nature of markets and consumers and how we buy. So um, I would say it, it's, it's quite a, it's, it can be, you know, quite a, um, it'll be cathartic for some businesses and for others, it'll be devastating. The ones that just cannot adjust yeah, it's going to be a really fascinating time. And I suppose one thing that kind of comes to mind when you look ahead is um, how leaders communicate to their staff these changes that are happening and how, you know, how we all return to work. And I think one of the things that stands out uh, for me is um, vulnerability. Uh, how important a skill is vulnerability for leaders in being able to say, look, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know how this is going to end up. I don't know what exactly is going to happen, but how can leaders kind of assimilate that into their day to day and make it a part of their, I suppose, ethos? Mm. I mean, in my time, I've met very senior leaders who are actually quite lonely in their roles, so often don't have scope or space to see how they really feel and have to put on quite a front or as they call it, the game face when they're facing their public. Um, and that's very unfortunate because, of course, people who are in charge of businesses who are running businesses are vulnerable and are human, and we all are. Um, I think it's a balance between being able to tell your truth as to you don't know and open up the space for people to say, guys, what are we going to do here? What's what's the best way forward? Um, Obviously, there's you can go too far in the opposite way. I mean, mm. you walk in and throw your head down on the table and just <laughs> the whole meeting. <laughs> then people might get extremely worried that you can hold the fort at all. Um, and that's not to say I'm not being facetious about people, you know, being upset is very legitimate um, uh, emotions, as I say in my in my area of emotional intelligence emotions or data so you have to listen to them but there is something about being real with people and not adopting a very in transactional analysis there's this kind of adult parent child and um, and sometimes business leaders feel that they have to be that either nurturing parent or critical parent and sometimes it's about showing up as adult and saying guys I need your help here I'm not really sure, you know, I'm really feeling this. This is really, I'm really struggling here. What is it that we need to do? So vulnerable people respond very well to vulnerability. We've seen Simon Cowell build an empire on it. You know, <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> where years ago, you know, things like uh, his shows started off as talent searching and then they became the place where people could have an outlet to weep for strangers um, so being vulnerable, you know, he, he, he and many others have capitalized on that. But being vulnerable is very important because as humans, we naturally respond with empathy um, and, and care. So it's, I think it's a very, very powerful thing, but it has to come from a place of you know, genuine that you're, you can't be enacting vulnerability would be not very good. It might make you a bit of um, uh, a sociopath. <laughs> Exactly. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah, indeed. Um, <laughs> one thing actually, Kerry, that really stood out um, from your mini masterclass as something that um, kind of um, rung a bell with myself was your discussion of Gen Z or Gen Z and how they are basically, I suppose, changing the calculus for organizations with, with you know, the influx of them coming into businesses and shaping them. So do you see the typical hierarchical structures that we're used to surviving 
or do you think the balance is going to tip heavily in favor of a new way as an as yet undetermined way of setting up organizations? Most definitely. Um, I think there are paths determined. Um, I've spoken a bit in the past about uh, Frederick Laloux's work on reinventing organizations and the different types of organizations that he talks about. And the teal organization being the ultimate one, which does not have any hierarchy. hierarchy. Uh, the people are in charge, ultimately, of the outcomes. Um, a very interesting book to read. Um, Jen said, I would say, will not tolerate a hierarchical structure. Um, they will want probably more flexibility in terms of remote access. So they need, you know, trust needs to be there that they are, can get on with it. Um, the whole notion of performance metrics and measuring people and checking up on people. I've, I've heard during the pandemic, one poor misfortunate lady who had to, you know, check in with her boss every couple of hours to make sure that she was working, you know, or um, I have another friend who um, has to move her mouse. The, the wiggle the mouse culture. <laughs> to make sure that the company knows she's still working. That's depressing. You know, if you're in this, in this day and age, if you're dealing with knowledge workers, it's very easy to find out who's, you know, people, people show up to work and to do well. Most people are not, you know, you have to err on the side of trusting people. And yeah, you will get burnt. But no, I think hierarchical organizations will become very rare because the industry of work and how it's structured will completely change because people just will need something entirely different. And this pandemic um, has demonstrated uh, already that it is possible for people to work from home and it's not necessarily enjoyable for lots of people. They do want that bit of going into the office and you know having a chat and getting opportunities for promotion and different things like that but yeah there there's a big change coming and it might take another 10-15 years but some organizations are embracing it um lean organization agile organizations we did get some comments on the masterclass afterwards where this uh, had been done but often it can lead to chaos uh in that there's nobody in charge and so nobody takes responsibility so, you know, some key components have to be in place. This isn't just chucking out the boss and saying to everyone, free rule. There is also a structure and there's also this kind of want where people are invested. Um, and this goes back to the, in, in some way, it's not possible for the abolishment of the um, shareholder model where everyone is working to the pockets of kind of some strangers who take all the money at the end. Um, it's more a stakeholder uh, where the employee is no different to companies like John Lewis in the UK, where every employee is an actual share, um, stakeholder and shareholder. So when you're at the till, you know, you know that the customer that's coming in, that's buying something that is going into the kind of pot, which is all of yours. So there's, it just it just breeds this kind of um, more collective um, uh, ambition to push an organization forward as opposed to doing it out of fear. Which is often why people are at work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's the, the, that's coming back to that idea of purpose again. I suppose looking forward now to um, post-pandemic times is uh, my my final question for you. What do you see as being the legacy in terms of purpose within organizations? So this is, you know, this mm -hmm. kind of disruption is rare, but will this disruption, this pandemic, actually help to crystallize the purpose for leaders and employees? Do you feel, or has it gone the other way in that we've become kind of more connected to our 
homes and maybe real life priorities have kind of taken a more you know importance in our lives yeah it's a lovely question I think I think the pandemic has given people time to stop and really question why they're at work and what are they doing obviously for 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 most people it's to pay the bills that's why most people go to work um but what are you doing and you know is it enjoyable could you earn as much money somewhere else how much money are you saving by not commuting how much time are you getting to spend with your children as opposed to having them in the crash what are the what are the kind of cost benefits so i think for some people those kind of big metric questions have come up and there's there's some things being asked i think for others they are you know, realizing how they've been treated, whether they've been treated well during the pandemic or crucified, uh, ultimately. Um, I, I think that it will really make businesses who have purpose to ensure them to be agile enough to thrive in what's coming now, because the consumer that's coming is a very different consumer than the one that we had five, 10 years ago. And so there is something about having this time as a really good clear out as to what it is that you've been doing that isn't as effective anymore um, and thinking about what the future is going to look like and whether that's embracing sustainability, whether that's, you know, ensuring a more multi-stakeholder model where you start to look at other businesses out there that you could connect with um, and stop this kind of individualized ego thinking um, which often doesn't get any people anywhere except, you know, um, creates often a level of hubris, as we talked about. So like anything, I think Winston Churchill was the man to say it, but he said, never let a good crisis go to waste. And I think this is ultimately the time for you to do that. Yeah, well said, well said. Uh, Kerry, a distinct pleasure to have you on the podcast today. I really appreciate your time. Great stuff. Thanks so much, David. Well, a fascinating conversation today, and I want to thank Kerry again for her insights on a topic that I think will resonate with our listeners in a major, major way. Be sure to subscribe to the IMI Talking Leadership podcast on your podcast platform of choice, and we do hope to see you again soon for another episode. Until then, take care.